Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. All right. Good evening, everybody. It's Saturday, January 21st, 2017. And we're here with Mr. Monty Montgomery. Monty, what's going on? Um, well, I, when I just now spoke, I wasn't speaking for me. I'm, I'm always ready. I was speaking for everybody else. Okay. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. <laughs> so what have you got on store for us tonight, if anything? Well, actually, uh, a number of somewhat unrelated things. And yet they are related in other ways. Okay. I wanted to focus on the um, Article 6 of. And I know I've mentioned it before, but I want to really focus down on that. Because if you check most of your state statutes on the oath requirement, and they will have those statutes. Okay. it basically says, from in most states, some states will separate the oath, the Article Six oath, and then they say and an oath of office, which narrows it down to a certain set of performances. But uh, in either event, they also say that before they have to take the oath before entering the office. So. What that essentially is saying is that that office is vacant until somebody takes an oath huh. to perform it. They also have to take an oath to support the this Constitution, meaning the original Constitution of the United States. And uh, a lot of people tend to gloss over the word support. That covers an awful lot of ground. So if you look that word up in the dictionary, you begin to get a, a better, broader grasp of what that means. Um, and over, as far as a legal, in a legal sense, uh, like when a couple goes through a divorce proceeding and um, there's young children involved in uh, the there's an award of child support and or spousal support, which means it's an agreement to make, or it's that which maintains, upholds, uh-huh. maintains. <clears throat> so when, when they take the oath to support that constitution, it means they're going to uphold it and maintain it. is conditioned on the performance of the office. So that possibly better explains my earlier comment that it's the oath that they take that gives them the authority. 
it's not the electors. Hmm. Um, and they have to sign a written oath, as well as in some locations they have to do the, you know, right hand raised uh, uh, verbal oath by a notary or someone qualified. But they also have to do a signed one for the public record. Like I said, the your fictions have no memory except what is in writing. And it's their signature that goes on that document. It isn't, an office can't make a signature, can't articulate itself. Um, and if the office is vacant until somebody signs that thing, somebody breathing with a pulse, um, huh. <laughs> uh, so that makes it a personal obligation that really rips the bottom out of their any claims of immunity. So okay. that's on the, that's on the oath. Now I'm going to change the subject a little bit. Um, I had somebody this last week query me about this, so I wrote him a letter back. This is for Idaho, but you'll find uh, most of the rules of civil civil procedure are pretty. Um, uniform from state to state. These are the new 2017 Idaho Rules of Civil Procedure propounded by the Idaho Supreme Court. And I began, this is very short, I began this, their question to me had to do with the attorneys changing the captions, all capital letter names. Uh-huh. In this particular suit, it was started with the title case names, and there were no, no attorneys. There were no attorneys involved. Now, let's clarify. When you say title case, that means the initial letter capitalized, and then the rest of it um, lowercase. Lower, right. In other words, capitalization of proper nouns, capitalization of the first word in the sentence. Okay. Those sorts of things. That's title case. Anyway. Uh, this is an, uh, taken right from the, the new Idaho Rules of Civil Procedure, but I'm sure you'll find it the same Rules of Civil Procedure for California or Montana or Idaho or New York or whatever. And I, and I started off by my note, which I always put in caption, or in uh, brackets, note that the title of this write-up is the same styling used by the Idaho Supreme Court in the title of each of its rules. The first, Idaho Rule of Civil Procedure, Rule 2A, this is a direct quote, the following requirements apply to all documents filed with the court. Then under Rule 2A2, that's a sub-rule, subdivision, quote, they must, we're talking about all documents, quote, they must contain, there's no option here, they must contain a caption. By the way, do you know what that word means? Caption? Yeah. It's not just a part to the left or the right on a court, a court document. 
It's the whole header. That's what caption means. Okay. Okay. It's it's the capital or the top of the document. Right. All right. Now all documents they must contain a caption, setting forth the names of the parties, the title of the court, the case number, and the title of the document. And that latter one would be in this in that unquote. That would be like when you title a chapter in a book or title a book or whatever. It's what heads it. And under Rule 2B, quote, pleadings must be in the English language. And he asked me, he said, well, what about uh, when you use et al or uh, you put in the uh, non-assumpted Latin thing? on your signature and um, or supra in the body or um, whatever. Those are all Latin terms. I said those those will fall under the next one. Um, but at any point, 2B says pleadings must be in the English language, which means it's rules of grammar as well. But under Rule 2C, quote, common abbreviations. That's that's where it comes in on the Latin stuff, okay. as long as you don't write the entire. I once filed a document into the Oregon Supreme Court. The entire thing was written in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> so the English language requirement, Rule 2, might be a result of that. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, 2C, common abbreviations may be used and numbers may be expressed by words or numerals. Okay, I've got two more notes that I put in on this. That is, the, There's more to that rule, but those are, that's the part that counts as far as the captions and, and uh, uh, using all capital letter names, etc. Note that in terms of grammatical rules, the English language governing proper noun capitalization and sentence structuring, this rule, like all the rest, is published using proper, quote-unquote, English language uh, grammar. So they're, they're practicing what they preach. Right. Second note, note that there is a distinction made between a name and a title. A title is manifestly a fictional reference to divisional classification, which can include capacity, status, and relative authority. And the last part here was a, a note that I put to him about uh, what was particular to his case. The other party got in over his head, realized it, hired an attorney, and the attorney, first thing the attorney did was change the caption. That's in violation of the rule I just read you. So I guess that's not so, to be. Right. So when I um, answered his question for him, I said, when you challenged the attorney's alteration of the caption at the hearing, and the judge said, that's just something that attorneys do, the appropriate response would have been, which he didn't do it, but the appropriate response would have been, 
by what authority are attorneys excused from complying with the rules of the court, particularly Rule 2? Who told them they could do that? Ouch. Okay. What what would a judge have responded to that, you think? He hasn't. He's spent 30 days, uh, no, not on this one. He's, he's had four days to respond. I think he's probably, since the other party was the plaintiff, he's probably going to dismiss the suit. The only yeah. easy way out for him. So, <clears throat> at any rate, um, that covers the second item. Um, anybody else sign on yet? Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, at that point, let's throw it open for questions. Oh. Mr. Hawaii had his hand raised, and I was going to call him, but he's gone. Really? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, maybe he'll come back. I, as I recall, that had to do with the divorce settlement. Yeah, I think it's very good. I have a very good memory. <laughs> well, you remember that bet you lost? and But I don't rely down. on it. I don't rely <laughs> on it. I'll Anybody? tell you why. Okay, tell me. Because memory is not reliable. It will break down, especially as you age. Um, people tend to add and subtract to what they remember or what they observe. Um, <clears throat> that's the that's why the important why I stress so that it's so important to grasp the meanings of these words. But you know, liberal use of the dictionaries because once you know something, once you comprehend it fully, you don't have to remember it. You just simply know it. It's instantaneous. It's there. When you try to remember something, sometimes it takes a while. But when you know something, that's why I do so well in open court, or did, um, is uh, I knew the words that were being used, so I could, I knew exactly what was being said or not said. Um, but when you have to remember all this stuff, um, that can take time, uh, sometimes too much time. So the idea is, is to know, because once you know something, you'll never lose it. Memory you can lose or misplace. Right. So. Our guy from Hawaii is back. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Ask a question. Hey, Monty. Hey, Ted. Hey. Hi. Um, you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, um... That was good advice. I hadn't been able to make any um, motion towards the court yet, and I've been listening to Carl Lentz with his success with custody battles, and I'm trying to get a call in with him. Um, but good luck uh, on that. Good luck on that. He's got a lot of stuff out there, uh, and he's yeah. worth listening. He is very much worth listening to. Let me tell you. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't know if you were being uh, funny uh, with your comment, but it sounds like he um, might have some avenues for people who can't find justice, you know, through litigation and, uh, and the, you know, well, as a defendant, let's just say. 
Right. Well, my advice to you on that is find everything. He's got over 100 video clips out there on Mm -hmm. YouTube. Okay, yeah, no, he seems really personable. And, of course, he was galvanized uh, by his own cause, and so those tend to be the uh, people who really, you know, by rights, they they tend to understand the system as well as anybody. So it goes back to they're willing to practice what they preach. Yeah, by 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 fire, right? You know, and uh, and so uh, yeah, and that's the thing is he's out there helping people, uh, you know, who a lot a lot of cases, you know, they just couldn't be helped. But amazing stories, yeah. Are you guys, uh, you guys follow any of that, Tad, with uh, with Carl? Um, <clears throat> not really. I've tried to talk to him before to ask him about certain things. It's like he's on this constant uh, party line. You know, it's not like it, he can focus on one person. He's got all these people that call him all at the same time. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not uh, It's not super effective. I grant you that, but I... And, I think, and unlike, yeah, and unlike me, uh, he does have to devote a certain amount of his time to his family. I see, I see. Sure, sure. Well, you know, and and uh, to their credit, I mean, the basic outline of evoking uh, or, uh, yeah, evoking a common law court, even if there's a, uh, let's just say, you know, where if I'm I'm called into a statute court, um, or you know, uh, you know, that where we're where we're in the in the law and the statutes, then. Um, then, you know, just evoking the fact that I, I don't understand, I can't co- possibly comprehend all of the statutes, so therefore I'm claiming incompetency. Yeah, I'm an idiot. You know, call me an idiot, but you can't hold me responsible because uh, this is ridiculousness. And right. it doesn't sound like a very good argument, but the other side of that is is that, like Carl was saying, you can petition away, you can appeal, you can go right to the Supreme Court, and what do they do? They throw it back to the original court, and they make the same decision. Well, what the hell have you accomplished? You know? <laughs> so so I think I think I, I want to try to prescribe to that method, which is that, you know, and if we can win in common law court, then is it true? Then I'll ask you, Monty, um, that, that those... Um, would trump the statute case. Well, what does uh, Article 7 of the Bill of Rights say? <laughs> you would have to ask me uh, to commit some time to this thing now, wouldn't you? Um, Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. I don't, I you know, I, I don't want you to, I, I don't want people to become parents. Okay. Okay, well, um, um, could you uh, could you uh, distill it for me? Um, I can re- I can read it to you if you like. All right. In suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed twenty dollars, the right of the trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined any in any court of the United States. Than according to the rules of the common law. Okay, so let's take that in my case where I've already laid down in the common in the uh, 
statutes courts, uh, and I've awarded legal custody to my children, uh, to to uh, their mother, and uh, like I said before, she's not being agreeable. The, the thing I agreed to in the courtroom was that we would, and you know, I felt a tinge in my gut when 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 it happened, but that we would agree to agree on visitation, so there was nothing set. You know, foolishly, I trusted uh, this person, and, and uh, I don't know why I'm so naive, but uh, you just, you want to trust people. You want to trust the, the good in people, and you just can't. So, uh, well, that's, that's true, and if you married the woman, then you let your defenses down, in, at least in that area. Yeah, certainly, right, and, and, uh, and, and what, and, and everybody has a different perspective. It's just like all of us. And I'm saying under those circumstances uh, that you should, I'm not saying that you should not do that. I mean, uh, because that kind of a relationship, if you don't have, um, if you set aside all of the uh, butterflies in the stomach and the lust and all that, you're talking about a lifetime relationship. And if it's not founded on a genuine, deep, enduring friendship, it's not going to work. It has to be founded on friendship first. All the rest of it comes later. Yeah, and I think at some point we definitely had that, and that was what I was, you know, hoping by showing the being this submissive and just saying, you know, I, I'm agreeing to whatever you to agree to, and hoping right. that you can be fair. And then when it doesn't turn out to be fair, then of course, you know, now I've got to backtrack and 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 go another way uh so you know i have this idea that um you know and like i, I may have explained to you guys last week was that uh, the the my wife uh ex-wife laura she explained to me that she knew the judge and i explained that to my attorney but of course i was right. paying him good money i'm paying him good money what does he care if they just you know run me just just like anybody else now i've heard I guess, I've heard attorneys from opposing sides in an action discussing who they were going to allow to prevail on the suit, depending on who which of their clients uh how long it would take to milk them of what they had I've heard know, discussing that. yeah and and they're you're right, I believe it, I believe it, and you know you almost can sense it. Um, uh, you know, every other word out of my attorney's mouth is, hey, you're working, you got finding work, you staying busy. Yeah, why, you want some of my money? I'm sure you do, you know. So uh, so that that is part Over. of... Hey, Monty. <laughs> I, hey, yeah. wait, wait. I got a question about this. So if he's paying this attorney good money to represent his best interest and he's over there just kind of throwing it away not really doing what, you know, he was hired to do, why would that not be, um, like, errors and omissions or malpractice? It, um, it could be, but you remember this. When that attorney got his bar license, he had to take an oath, and I've seen the oath. Their first allegiance is to the court. Their allegiance to their client comes second. <laughs> 
you know, and you can sense it, all right? Because they don't they don't want to evoke the Constitution for you, well, hold right? Hold on a That's, second. Hold on a second. Under the um, Constitution, they're not even allowed. Isn't there a way? Is it, wait a minute. Wait a second. Isn't there a way that uh, this gentleman can bring a claim against his attorney for, you know, errors and omissions, and then submit it as a claim against his insurance? Well, uh, there's a number of factors. One is, was there an, an actual written attorney-client agreement? Yeah, chances are not. Chances are not. Okay. I don't, um, I don't think there was. No, it was yeah, verbal. Well, even there, I mean, it's it's still applicable. It's just not as provable. Uh, but there has to be an agreement of some kind, and money has to change hands. Uh, but there has to be considerations or there's no contract. So, yeah, money did change hands. Apparently there was a verbal agreement. Um, so you're, you're going to have to, unless you recorded that verbal agreement, uh, you're going to have to do some memory exercises to just what the hell he actually did agree to do. Right, and, they, and probably what he agreed to do was represent me, which means he's going to fill out some paperwork and, and, and then bon voyage, you know? I mean, so... Uh, yeah, well, that's... That's what they hang their shingle to do. Exactly, you know, and you, they paid well for it. Good for them. I wish my job were that easy. Um, All right, now, I'm going to give you and Tad and anybody else that's listening in, there's a book. It's ex- extremely hard to get a hold of. It's part of the West Publishing Company Handbook Series. It's by Joseph Coppler and Allison Repi, R-E-P-P-Y. It is called Common Law Pleading. Mm, Okay. Great. So to give you an example of what's in this book, I'm looking at the table of contents. It took me a while to find this book. Um, To give you an idea of what's in the book and what it's about, and in great detail, by the way, This is just in Chapter 1, the place of common law, uh, Section 1, the place of common law pleading in the law. 2, Section 2, the importance of common law pleading. 3, the functions of pleading at common law. Uh, Section 4, the development of substantive law out of procedure. Section 5, Relation of Common Law Pleading to Other Systems. 6, The Status of Common Law Pleading Under the Codes. Now, what you did was under the codes, all right? Well, it um, it, it, say it again? Yeah, if, if, it was un, if you hired an attorney, then you can bet it was under the codes. Oh, yeah, with all the divorce proceedings, of course. Right. <clears throat> and, and I'm figuring that's over with. And so then, um, so going back to the Constitution, thanks for the tip, uh, Monty. No, I'm going to check that out because... Um, okay, whoa. so this gives you an idea of what's in this book. Um, I'll give you another idea. Hmm. 750 pages. Yeah, well... 735 right. pages, wow. Yeah, well, all right, you know, I mean... That's better than a whole law library. Well, yeah, because considering considering what it's covering, you bet. Um, 
because yeah. you know we can progress at the common law as an idiot, right? We can progress as as an unlearned person. And that's well, the idea so is you're going to become a learned person if you get a hold of this book and study it. Okay, it's, well, it's, but, uh, well, we don't um, have that excuse. We don't have that excuse in the statutes, right? I mean, we're, once we're into the statutes... Uh, you talk, yeah, when you, you talk about the codes, now you're talking, and I've mentioned this uh, several weeks ago, I think. Uh, when you talk about the codes, you're talking about essentially... The equity side of the court, you're talking about admiralty jurisdiction, um, which is the only side of the, our courts that admiralty can come into. Uh, and that equity side comes under contract, usually, because equity, uh, because the law of the contract is the law of the contract. Uh, so they style their codes on that. And... <clears throat> You've heard the expression that equity follows the law. Okay. Okay. What that that means is that if the law does not provide a remedy, equity will do so. And equity, the only rules on equity are whatever seems fair to the judge. Or the jury, right? Or in that case, I guess it might be a judge, yeah. Well, in that, you have to understand in admiralty, they, they can have juries in admiralty, but they're not the uh, deciders of the fact. They're advisory, they serve in an advisory capacity only to the judge. Oh, that's different. Yeah, well, that's admiralty. <laughs> that's not much, really. I mean, that's not really much, is it? Yeah, if you want to get a, an idea a similarity to how that functions, then look at a military court. You have a judge advocate general. Mm -hmm. He's the judge. And then you have a bunch of military officers who sit as an advisory jury um, in a military trial, you know, like a court-martial. And so they might be somebody that would have, what, first-hand information? I mean, what, what is their... What is there? What There's is the point? There to, they're there to to offer their opinion to the judge. Um, mm-hmm. That's a, I their decision. They can't. They're not authorized to make the decision of acquittal or conviction. Mm-hmm. Only the judge has that under admiralty. And military law follows the admiralty procedure. Okay. Okay. So. And then, and then, how does that differ from maritime? Maritime is a body of law. Admiralty is a jurisdiction within which maritime law applies. Mm, mm. And so, um, maritime. Then, can we proceed at common law under maritime, or no? Um, <clears throat> only if you do it through contract. Hmm. Which could be a verbal contract or something like that, but see, that's how admiralty—that's how admiralty was brought into our land courts, was through the equity side of the courts through the con- the concept of contract law, and it had involved uh, insurance on cargoes and that sort of thing. That's how that's how they snuck the admiralty jurisdiction into the state court, was through the equity side of the common law courts. And, and that was a disadvantage to the commoner, 
Only if you don't understand it. I've told people before, there's nothing wrong with Admiralty as long as you don't try to mix it with anything else. Then what happens? Well, it's kind of like trying to straddle the fence um, with one foot in one jurisdiction, one foot in the other. Eventually, you're going to get your scrotum smashed. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound like a good option. (laughs) No, not when you try to mix them or stand on both sides of the fence. Well, you know, just uh, from just listening a little bit to Carl and and to his credit, I think... um, I think he, um, I, I think he goes for the causes that really, you know, uh, speak to him, and so um, he's a little. I, he's, I think he's kind of like the rest of us, sensing that there's there's some urgency about the world, and it's really um, hard hard to spend your time uh, doing too much. You know, I mean, we are busy. The thing I like about Carl's presentations is. Um, he doesn't lose you in a in a uh, tangle of legal terms, et cetera, et cetera. He keeps it very simple. Um, he keeps it uh, very well connected to reality. Um, that's the value of what he's teaching us, is understanding it, learning it the same way you learn basic things when you're a, a, a child. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He speaks of he speaks of this book that he found way back when, and that has the hierarchy of of the law, you know, like the hierarchy of all things, and where it had you know God at the top, man below, and then the courts and everything, plaintiffs and defendants, all fall under those. So if we fall under the plaintiff or defendant, then we're putting ourselves way down on the on the line in terms of our actual. Well, yeah, but if one of these bar maggots tells you that you have to do this, when I say that, it includes those wearing black robes. Sure, Uh, okay. If they try to tell you that you have to do that, you say, okay, um, if I have to do that, where's the enabling authority that uh, uh, empowers you or anybody else to compel me? Like when they want, like when they want to change your uh, your claim. Or something like that, and make you the plaintiff and the other person the defendant instead of the claimant and the and the. Uh, right. So when you challenge them and say, "Where's the enabling authority that empowers you to compel me?" Da da da. What you're mm-hmm. saying is, what you're saying is, either you're going to have to come up with a specific section, article, or article section and clause of the Constitution, or you're going to have to come up with a contract with my wedding uh, blue ink signature on it. Because those those are the only two sources of enabling authority there are in this country. So there's so there's no statute per se that's going to give them that authority. It's going to be like you said in the Constitution, which is easy enough to understand. And well, no, it can come through a statute, but it has to be constitutionally compliant. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean. It has to, in some in some way, that statute has to uh, further secure your rights. That's what governments are created for: keep you and secure to, in your personal right. property. Yeah, and that's how he's winning these cases. Is is everybody else wants to come in and contest the child protective services, 
and this, that, and the other thing. And what Carl's saying is, is no, this, these, this is my property, like my rights. My children are my, my, you know, there are my offspring. It's obvious, right? They look like me, for God's sake. Well, you have to remember this: that there was that was a result of a two-party contract. So you don't, they aren't your exclusive property. Mm-hmm. They are. Um, it's property that's jointly held in a sense, which means that you have an interest. You have a controlling interest in that property. Well, what what would you think I would uh, encounter in, in a case like that, where where I went and and that I, I again I was not able to um, download. I guess they work off of an app now. They were doing TalkShoe, but they and I can't download it on my phone, so. I'm having tr- a little bit of trouble getting through to Carl, but um, nonetheless. Can you do it? Yeah, can I'm you sorry. go through a friend? In can a you, sense. Yeah, can you go through a friend who has more hardware than you do? <laughs> yeah, you know, eventually I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to get a hold of Apple or get a new device or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. I was looking online, and they were saying, you know, I'm not the only one that's having this stupid problem not being able to log in and actually download an app. I, I've had my phone for... Oh, going on four years, and I've honestly I I've downloaded a couple apps, but now I can't log in, and so I'm just and this this is actually systemic. I mean, you know, like when when you're when you are divorced nowadays, it's like and I was divorced from somebody who was helping me with my business, so I was divorced from my phone numbers, my passwords, uh, and of course her not being agreeable. Um, I had to relearn and figure everything out, you know. So I'm trying to log into my accounts just to pay my taxes, and I can't figure out the password. And, you know, it's just absolutely <laughs> absurd. I mean, it was driving me nuts. It's like I don't even want to do this in the first place, and now I can't pay because I don't know the freaking password. And it's on a computer that my company paid for but is in her office still. You know, so it just it just is like... Not nagging, <laughs> and so we're we're laughing with you because we've got I don't know about Tad, but I've gone through the same thing when I yeah, when I, when I bought my when I first bought my PC desktop PC I, I had no intentions of using it, anything beyond a glorified word processor that was it or a glor you know a glorified typewriter. Okay. All right. Um, and it's grown beyond that. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so. Yeah. No. It's like a clutch, you know. And it's like without all your passwords, and you get any of that stuff mixed up, and it's just. So we had a password worksheet. We actually had a worksheet. I say we. Uh, Laura, my ex-wife, she had it all organized. Well, she kept it with her, and she didn't give me a copy. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, you know. So Well, uh, there's a, there's an old Indian saying from the Old West. Mm-hmm. If the white man screw over the uh, Indian once, shame on the white man. If he screws the Indian over twice, shame on the Indian. No, and it's true. It's true. So, so that... <laughs> You you learn that you know the, the about the safest person to trust is yourself, and then you keep everybody else at arm's length, and that's you know. Um, but it's 
We it's have we had a couple other people uh, have their hands raised. So all right, all right, I'll let you go. Well, uh, I just was curious. What do you do? You think that uh, that something like that might work, where I could go in and claim my children? Like you said, I'm I'm in a I'm in a uh, three way uh, agreement, a love affair with the state, my wife, and 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 you know, and our marriage. But um, I. The only thing I see is that you're unavoidably going to have to bone up on some of this. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, real good. No, it was nice talking with you folks, and uh, I'll check back with you next time. Okay. All right. California, with your phone on mute, it's your turn. Hi. Hi there. Uh, hello. Good evening, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay. Thanks. Uh, I was listening to your call uh, recently there, Monty, and you were talking about qualified immunity. And if you could kindly give me some education here, how do, my question is, how do you defeat qualified immunity for state and county police? Um, can you rephrase the question for me? Okay. Uh, how do you defeat uh, their in, other words, in other words, connect, connect, connect it to something, okay? Something real. Oh, oh, so far as okay. Your question. Okay. Uh, uh, court your case, case, what you're going through. Yeah, okay. I didn't know how much detail. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's got a federal case, and uh, it's a 1983 claim, and uh, basically ambushed uh, by the state police, and the county police uh, with a warrant for my passenger who was guilty of not showing up for a traffic ticket. Okay? They usually have a warrant on a traffic ticket? Yes, sir. That's why I'm pissed off. And and I wasn't even aware. See, I wasn't even aware of it. I mean, I didn't know, you know, anything. So I'm the driver, my vehicle, um, driving down the road, and the state police and the county and the FBI, okay, yeah, all pen me in, come up behind me, you know, hit the lights. Um, I immediately pull over. I wasn't doing anything uh, that they could cite me for as a vehicle traffic violation, okay? They specifically did that to execute the warrant, Okay, for the passenger of my vehicle. And like I said, it was for an expired inspection and an expired driver's license and a missed court date. Okay, that was how that came down. Now, are we, um, so you were charged? Uh, actually, I was charged for obstruction of justice because they all rushed the vehicle and I was frozen in fear and they busted the window and got. The, you know, my passenger out, he asked them to please show me the warrant, and they said, get out, and please, you know, and uh, within, you know, two questions, they cracked the window and drug him out, okay, and then they're screaming at me to get out, too. I was kind of confused at the time. I, w- I thought they were just wanting him, but then, you know, because I knew I didn't do anything wrong, so anyways, yeah, of course, so they got me out, cuffed me, and um, I ended up being taken down, charged with obstruction of justice, and uh, the case for the occupant of my vehicle uh, 
in order, if I were to, you know, take the stand and testify in that, they gave me leniency and wiped those charges out. Okay? Uh, okay, that's that's just bar maggots negotiating. Okay, exactly, exactly. Love the bar maggot uh, analogy. <laughs> okay, I, I love it every time you say it. Anyway, no. so, yeah, so, you know, so, okay, so, piss me off that, excuse me, maybe I should talk like that on here. I'm sorry. Right, speak your mind. <laughs> Okay, you know that they uh, they had a warrant for my occupant for something that was just administrative. Okay, and Have you seen they, the warrant? Uh, were you shown the warrant, or was it just your occupant? Not until we not until we were in handcuffs. Not until okay, we were in you handcuffs. Saw the, you saw the warrant. In handcuffs, taken back to the court. The warrant was thrown down on the table. Correct. Did you read it? Yes. Okay. Now this you is the occupant. The you occupant. do understand. I understand, but you do understand um, that Article Four of the, of the Bill of Rights requires that no warrant shall issue, but upon a uh, provable cause. Yes. And it has to specify with. It has to be very specific on what's going to be seized, which means his person, and where it can be found. Now, did the, warrant say, did the warrant say they were going to find him in your vehicle? Absolutely not. And that is precisely why I filed my 1983 claim up in federal court, Fourth Amendment complaint. Okay, yeah. well, all right. Now, here, you need to understand there's a difference between a violation of civil rights, that's under statute, and violation of civil liberties, that's a constitutional guarantee. Okay. I have, I don't know, let me interject this if I may, I don't know if it's pertinent. I have two clients. One is the 1983 and then I have trespass, Fourth Amendment claim, complaint. Okay. Trespass is on the common law side, it's on the constitutional side, but you don't want to bring it under a statute. I did bring a Fourth Amendment complaint. Into which court? Federal court. Western okay, District. That, there's lots of federal courts. Are you talking about a district court? Uh, Western District of New York, yes. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> have you researched it to find out if the if that federal district court has enabling authority to hear uh, constitutional claims. What I'm getting at Article, is you may have, you Article may have to three. file something. Uh, well, to an extent, yes, but it's a matter of how. In other words, um, under typically what they operate under is USC Title 28. Yes. If you're going to invoke that, the law side, the common law side, or the constitutional side of the court, you can't cite 28 U.S.C. Unless there is language in that uh, 28 U.S.C., because that's where the authority is given to those courts. <clears throat> Unless there's specific language that says they, they can adjudicate a law action 
under uh, for a constitutional violation, then your your court of remedy is going to have to be the Supreme Court. Okay. Twenty eight USC. Oh, okay. Now, um, I think, um, if I recall right, civil rights, not civil liberties, but civil rights, comes under 28 U.S.C. 1983 uh, through 1986. But those are civil rights. They're not the same thing as civil liberties. I've brought it in under, I'm sorry, excuse me. I brought it in under 28 U.S.C. 1331. Oh, 
uh, you said a circuit two. The chief justice of the circuit two court will sit as a trial judge on your case in that instance. And if the other, if you or the other side appeal that, then it'll still go right back into the Supreme Court. But then, when it's sitting in the appellate jurisdiction on that case. They all have to be there, or they have to have at least three judges, three justices of the Supreme Court sitting in bonk. That's what they, B-A-N-C, in bonk, and they're sitting in an appellate capacity. Am I making sense? If I can clarify something, pardon me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> woo, okay. Um, so, being as I am in the Western District Court, how do you defeat qualified immunity of the state and county? Okay, now, the way, and a civil uh, I, I, under, under under civil rights. Pardon me. Now yeah. we come back. Now we come back to your original question, and now I understand better why you're asking it. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how to explain it. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you two case sites. They both go back a number of years, um, but they're still they've never been overturned. Your qualified immunity claim, which is what most state attorney generals use, and they're probably doing the same thing in your case, they are going to be citing a case called McCullough versus Maryland. It has to do with the exercise. Uh, it comes under the necessary and proper clause, and it involves the use, the state use of police power. Okay. And that's, and that's, that's where they're making their claim of, of qualified immunity under that case. Now the case McCullough, that, uh, McCullough yeah, versus Maryland. Is that correct? I'm so sorry. McCullough versus Maryland. Uh, if you'll give me a moment, I'll pull it up for you. Oh, thanks. Um, let's see. I had to get in front of my computer. We were, we were talking about earlier. Uh, <laughs> the only problem with this is I haven't got my life, my indexing library system down real good yet. Yeah. Uh, that's a question of where I put it. Um, okay. Uh, Tad, did I send you any write-ups on these two cases? Um, I don't recall, but let me see if I can log in. All right, while you're doing that, I, I pulled up mine. Okay. <clears throat> the, the res judicata or judicial determination in uh, McCullough, and that's spelled M small c, Capital C U L L O C H versus Maryland. Uh, it's 17, volume 17, the U.S. Reporter, page 316. It's also found under four wheat. Uh, page 316 also. And it's also found under Volume 4, Lawyer's Edition, page 579. That was an 18, uh, 1819 case, really early case. Uh, it had to do, that case had to do with the Necessary and Proper Clause, and um, 
Actually, I think I did. When I sent you that, um, was it was it the uh, writ of quo Yeah. And it's down in about page five or six or three or four. It was deep into the document. Okay. Anyway, what that case addressed was um, the use of police power by the states coming under the necessary and proper clause. Uh, And there's a critical statement, an exception, what they call an exception. In other words, they were saying the state does have that authority. They do have qualified immunity under that, uh, except. Now, in the McCulloch case, if you go to the U.S. reporter that I just gave you, uh, at pages 421 through page 427, they discuss the exceptions to that. And basically, they said, except as constitutionally restrained. Uh-huh. Now, what really nails it down later in 1827 was a case called Ogden, O-G-D-E-N, versus Saunders, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. That's found in Volume 25, U.S. Reporter, page 213. And the um, it's also found in Wheat. But uh, the U.S. reporter is good enough. The Supreme Court delved deeply into the original intent of the framers of the Constitution regarding the prohibitions of Article One, Section 10. Now, it was on Article One, Section 10. Oh, no, there's a U.S. Yeah. Okay, that was on the money, but it also covered a lot of other uh, um, things involving um, the use of police power. In other words, the, the the ability of the state to compel you oh. and, and subordinate your rights. Uh-huh. Uh, now, the key phrase in Ogden was, in our system, the legislature of a state is the supreme power in all cases where its action is not restrained by the Constitution of the United States. Where it is so restrained, the legislature ceases to be the supreme power and its acts are not law. Mm. Okay? Okay, yeah. If they're coming back at you with qualified immunity under McCullough, then you come right back under uh, Adam, under Ogden versus Saunders. Uh, And that is okay. Maybe you do have that authority, unless you're restrained by the Constitution. In this case, you are so restrained. So where is your enabling authority to, to make this claim of the qualified immunity? That's what I want to know. That's right. And remember this. You can't file a suit against the uh, city or the county or the state because those are fictions. What you have to come at them on, if you're going to use the Constitution and, and the protections of the Bill of Rights, you have to go against the individuals that were the actors. Well, so Please. far we, yeah, we Please did officers. we did get, a, okay. yeah, in their individual capacity, yes, we did. Right, and you do it through, under their oath. They gave their word. They gave you a pledge. They gave you a bond when they signed that oath. 
they waive their immunity in relation uh-huh. to in relation to keeping you secure in your person and property under the Bill of Rights Constitution. Okay? So that's yeah. how that's how finally you have to dice this thing. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well okay. I, I do yes, thank you so much for uh giving me that understanding and I'll I'll uh let you go. Thank you guys very much. All right, thank you. Okay, Cheyenne, you're next. Hi guys. Hey. How are you all tonight? Pretty good. Um, well, uh, I, I'm I'm hungry as hell. Do you want to watch? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take uh, Tad's uh, job away from him. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I just wanted to make an announcement. Uh, for those who are trying to get a hold of Carl, Carl is a friend of mine. Um, his mother passed away, I think it was a day or two days before his birthday. Uh, uh-huh. She passed of a heart attack. He was trying to survive her, but he, she ended up dying in his arms. Um, for those, and he's going through some other stuff, so that's probably one of the reasons. Plus, he's doing a lot of farm work on his mom's farm, so he's kind of, like, busy. Um, but for the gentleman who couldn't, I guess, log into uh, TalkShoe, you can find on um, YouTube many, many of uh, different things with Carl. And one guy broke it down. I think his name is Craig Lynch. He broke it down, and a few other ones have broke it down to what does, uh, say, jurisdiction, to void orders, to just different traffic tickets, to just different topics. Right. So if you can go onto YouTube um, and just punch in uh, Carl Lentz and try to find Craig Lynch, or uh, Craig um, Lynch, Lynch, Lynch. Um, right. If you if you have Carl's ear, uh, if you would, convey my condolences to his mother. All right, I will. <clears throat> yeah, I met him. He's a trip, and a friend of mine went down many a times to help him, uh, the place that he was before, and then to uh, where he's at now with his, um, uh, right there at his mom's house. Right. Well, as I told the individual out here a while ago, you know, he's a fa- I'm not a family man. Uh, I don't even know if I've got a family left, but um, he's a family man, and uh, he has to spend a certain amount of time with his family. Well, due to other issues, uh, it's left to him with the farm now. Right. And because um, there's some major other issues. And I won't uh, put that on air. It is on air somewhere, but I, I won't do it. <clears throat> All right. Well, okay. thanks for the now, update. You're welcome. Now, the only question I do have for um, oh, okay. the gentleman is, what is the difference between uh, when you got dismissed from a case? What is the difference between a motion to reinstate or uh, a motion to vacate the dismissal? Um, again, can you rephrase your question because I'm not connecting it. If you got a dismissal from a case, as in okay. what capacity? Were you the defendant or the plaintiff? I would be the defendant, and it would be bankruptcy. I'm asking for a friend. Um, okay. Okay. So no, what he did, he end up, he end up, he end up putting a, a vacate of um, dismissal. They changed his paperwork, and he also puts himself down as a consumer, and they end up changing his paperwork and end up doing a uh, hearing for a motion to reinstate, 
and also put him down as a defendant. Okay, so he needs to challenge by what authority did they do that? Right, I got that part. But my um, question is, what is the difference uh, between vacate the dismissal or reinstate? Now, I did call there at the courthouse, and they they told me that actually you cannot vacate. Uh, but he's also told me that vacate and reinstate is the same thing, which I know it's not. But I just uh, wanted your two well, cents. In, in effect, they are the same thing. Okay. In other words, it's two paths arriving at the same destination. So I I don't see it as being that significant. Okay. It's whatever that whatever they're willing to uh, allow, because you got to remember that you're in you're in their boxing ring, you're in their sandbox, <clears throat> and they make the rules. Right. The only time I the only time I try to nail them is when they don't follow their own rules. Right. Because that's the enabling authority. Um, and, I, and you know I covered that at the beginning of this evening as unlike rule two, on on captions, and they have to use the English language. They have to use proper grammar. Da da da. da. Um, and then the judge at a, at a hearing said, uh, "Well, that's just what attorneys do." Well, fine. Uh, where's the enabling authority that excuses them from complying with the rules in court? Okay, now, when you did bring that up, I was a little bit confused. You said, don't worry about the left side to the right side. On top, it has to have the court, and it has to have um, the, uh, not the topic, but the, um, I guess it would be the topic, but that's not the correct word. Well, what they use, then they practice what they preach, and they're in the rule itself. Uh, they use proper noun and sentence structuring capitalization rules uh, for the title of the document, which is the rule uh, in this case. And then it says it has to have uh, the names of the parties, which means proper noun names, or if it is a, indeed a fiction like IBM or... or uh, you know, McDonald's Incorporated or whatever, uh, that's generally put in all caps because that's how they identify uh, fictional entities. They don't have proper noun names. They have names, but not proper noun names. Um, and then it says that there has to be a case number, and then there has to be a title. Again, we use the, you see the word title. There has to be a title of what the document's about. Right. Those are the only four requirements. So there's two titles, the title of the court, title of the document, names, and a case number. And actually and you're just basically saying to put that in the middle instead of putting it on the left and the right side. Well, no. Uh, the only thing I recommend people do that, that pushes the envelope on their rules, uh, but it's also more accurate uh, in terms of common law is when they try to come at you through a fiction and that's the only way they can come at you because you have rights. Fictions don't have rights. Right. Um, so they come at you typically um, through the all capital letter name. And, right. 
if you've uh, laid the groundwork by the non-assumptive qualifier on your signatures, um, that's especially true that, that you know you can challenge that because it's like, hey, I gave you conspicuous notice that I assume no liability for anything by or through a fiction using my name. But it sounds the same as mine spoke when spoken. So uh, what I've advised people to do is to come back at them with their, like their caption is going to read, uh, you know, state of so-and-so or the United States of America versus, uh, and I've actually seen some uh, some complaints filed in the federal courts where they're using the United States of America in proper title case name. Okay? Mm -hmm. Not all caps. But the defendant is always is almost always in all capitals because right. if they don't if they don't have the authority through the Constitution or through a contract that you signed and authorized, they can't come against you because they don't have any rights. You do. So, but if they can come at you, if they can get your agreement to uh, participate as some kind of a uh, presumed representative of that fiction. Um, they got you because now you don't have any rights other than what they allow, what they give you. That's why they tell you on the Miranda warning, they give, they tell you you have two rights. You have a right to remain silent. You have a right to an attorney. That's it. You don't have any other rights in that jurisdiction. So, um, and the easy one, the first one is easy because fiction can't speak for itself, so it's going to stay silent. <laughs> Right. Uh, at any rate, so what I've told people to do is you put your name as uh, you redo the caption on the left-hand side. You don't change the title of the document. Or, I mean, you keep the title of the document to the right-hand side. That's normal practice. On the left-hand side is where you identify the, the parties, and you have to have the proper name. So you start off by your title case name, and then you put aggrieved intervener of necessity. And you do that because necessity excuses the law. You're setting their rules aside out of necessity. Okay. Because they're doing something that has an effect on you and has an effect on your rights. Then you put the versus sign, and then below that, you put what whoever's they're claiming is coming against you, the state or the federal or whatever. <laughs> and on that, you put nominal plaintiff. And then you put another versus in there. And then you put the all caps name at the bottom and you put nominal defendant. So you write correctly named and identified all the parties involved. And you are intervening as a matter of you're an, you, you're an aggrieved intervener of necessity. What you've done is you've just ripped the bottom out of a bunch of their presumptions. You've ripped the bottom out of the, uh, their presumed jurisdiction insofar as it applies to you. And yeah, I see uh, that. Well, Carl, okay. he would always he would always uh, call yourself instead of a, a plaintiff a uh, prosecutor or a claimant. Um, and then well, they were always the wrongdoer. Yeah, but I like to do that by intervention. In yeah, words, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, because it's the difference between a party of interest and a party in interest. They're two different things. 
what's the one would be the um, in? Well, if you want to apply it to the Federal Reserve note issue or suit, the real party of interest would be the holder in due course, the holder in due course of the international banks or the international banking families. And a, um, a, a party in interest is whoever happens to be in possession of their note. In other words, you have Federal Reserve notes in your wallet or purse. Um, you're a, with, re, with respect to those notes, you are the party in interest because you're in possession of them. But you are not the holder in due course on those notes, so you're not the real party in, of interest. I'll have to look into that. Okay, so you apply that to, you know, other things like uh, their uh, political code enforcement, like traffic and so on and so forth. Um, hell, it even includes bankruptcy. Um, you have to distinguish whether in what capacity. I mean, capacity is everything. In other words, at this point in time, in this particular set of circumstances, what capacity are you acting in? Now, on the familial level, you can be a, a father, a mother, a daughter, a son, a cousin. Those are all different capacities. And it's a matter of which one are you acting in at a particular, any particular point in time and space. Well, the courts operate the same way. In other words, if you're going to act, in what capacity are you acting at that time? Right. I agree with that. Okay. So okay. capacity is very, very important, and you have to distinguish between those. You, you want to remove any uncertainty or any doubt about what capacity you're moving in. Okay. Now, I don't know if I'm making any sense or not, but... Yeah, you are. Yes, okay. yes, you are, and I thank you for your uh, time. Oh, yeah, you're more than welcome. Uh, All right. Thank you. I see you. there's other questions. Thank you, guys. Call right. me out. Hey, Monty. Yeah. Guess who decided to join us tonight? Oh, really? Wonderful. I can hardly wait. I'm about to wet my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do that normally? <laughs> yeah, you do that normally. <laughs> well, hello, both of you and everybody else. Hi. Hi. Hello, both of you. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, we looked up on YouTube the Vatican rag. Last you did? Week. Yes, did you, we did. Did you like it? I loved it. Loved it. And for anybody else listening, go to YouTube, punch in Vatican Rag, and you'll really enjoy it. There are and there are other songs that this fella sings that are just great. <laughs> what a trip he is! Yeah, isn't he? He's a white collar worker too, you know. He was. He's is? not a professional. He's not a professional performer. He was just a white collar worker that had a talent. Wow. Or did. I don't even know if he's still alive or not. That goes back a few years. Well, I think he's still alive, and he went on. We looked him up on Wikipedia, and he went on to, um, well, let's see, what was he in, sweetheart? Oh, gosh, I think it was mathematics of some sort. Oh, yeah. In the mathematics field, so. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, we uh, thank you for turning us on to that. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're welcome. <laughs> now you know where I how I come across my twisted sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> the YouTube videos. Yeah. Well, no, that fella. <laughs> That's just one of many, Cat. That's just one of many. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, so I have a question. <laughs> yes. The, no, say it isn't so. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I have more than one. I confess. But the first right. one is you were you were making a distinction earlier about uh, rights versus liberties. And that mm-hmm. we have liberties, uh, and and uh, no, I would not be not no 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 no. I wasn't making a distinction between rights and liberties. I was making a distinction between civil rights and civil liberties. Okay, okay, I missed that. I missed that. Okay, so okay, now I'm going to go back to something extremely basic, and I'm almost embarrassed to bring this up, but why? It was, because I, I, you'd think I'd know this by now, but I I'm don't. I'm warming my hands off your blush. Keep keep being embarrassed. <laughs> Is it snowy there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this has to do with recording documents. I don't quite understand the difference between recording and filing at the county. So if I record a document at the county recorder's office, I'm basically putting it in a file cabinet there as proof that it exists in case anyone else wants to see it. Um. Or would that be filing a document at the county recorder's office. I, I just don't quite, I'm not catching on to this. It, it has to do with um, admissibility of evidence in the public public memory, the public record. If you, I, I don't know, not all the state courts practice this, but I know the federal courts do. Um, they have a number of different ways they will accept documents into a case in the federal court. One of them they'll stamp as filed. Another they might stamp as received, meaning they're acknowledging they got it, but it's not necessarily going to get filed into a case. And then there's another one. Uh, let's see what other one they have that I seen. Uh, filed, received. Docketed is another one. So we got they have a number of ways of, of splitting hairs on what they're doing as far as admissibility of documents. In other words, if you file a document, if you give yourself power of attorney, that's a nonsensical document. They'll go ahead and they'll go ahead and receive it. They'll go ahead and file it. But it doesn't carry the same status as um, a two-party contract or a uh, notarized document. It, 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 <clears throat> I know I'm not being totally pollutedly clear on this, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it, 
It has to do with the admissibility of documentary evidence. Okay, so now something that you said, and this relates to it, is you wrote in Volume 1 that uh, you wrote that to put the public on notice of changes in our status that we can have our local county clerk record into the miscellaneous records our right. originally signed letter. Right. Okay, um, so and you can do the same thing when you file for a declaratory judgment action and just open the case, but you don't prosecute it. You just start dumping evidence into it. Well, now, but you are saying to put the public on notice of changes in our status that we recorded at the local county clerk's office. Sure. So... You want so, it in the public memory. Okay. And the key word there, and you're using it repeatedly, is notice. Not saying that you're legally correct. It's not saying a great many things. You're simply get, putting the public on notice that this is reality as you see it. So It's up to someone else to challenge it if they don't agree with you. And, and so if no one no if no one challenges you uh, or has evidence that would overcome your evidence, it will stand as truth. Okay. Am I? I got that. Okay, I get that. Is is, is the jello starting to get a little <laughs> stiffer here? <laughs> <laughs> A little, yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> and in this case, is the um, is the status that you're referring to that we are no longer um, a registered voter? Well, what you're doing is uh, you're basically putting the, um, in so many words, you're putting the public on notice that with respect to your status or standing, there are certain things that can no longer be presumed by the courts or anyone else. See, they're killing us in the courts on presumptions that aren't true. What you're doing is you're removing their ability to make those presumptions. Well, in other words, if you're going to say I'm I'm this or I'm that, some status or standing or whatever, now you got to prove it. Because I'm saying I'm not. Right. But but if I already have, say, um, uh, 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 written proof that I am no longer a registered voter, right? And because I've rescinded my voter registration, then then if anybody, uh, then I don't have to take that down to the county recorder because I have the memory of it in my in my hand in in the letter or the notice in my hand right and yeah. also, and and also because I have written in order to rescind my voter registration I have written to the secretary of state so okay it, it has to do with the weight 
of your evidence. In other words, you can make a copy, uh, you can obtain, you can buy printed copies of the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence, and that carries a certain amount of weight as evidence, but when you get certified copies, photographic copies, from the custodian of those documents, that carries a lot more weight. Same thing applies when you record stuff. That carries more weight than whatever you keep in your personal files. I could come along and say, that's a, that's a forgery. How are you going to prove it's not? So by my going down to the county and putting it in, uh, recording it in the county, then then now, that supposedly you, legitimizes it or makes it, gives it stronger? It, it gives it more weight as evidence okay. if it ever needs to be used because when you go down there to record it, they're going to charge you a fee. Now you have a contractual relationship between you and the county <coughs> recorder. Okay. And they're saying, uh, we officially recognize this document. It is valid evidence. It carries a lot more weight. So there would probably wouldn't be any instance when I would walk into the county and request that they file a document for me. I would really only ever want them to record a document yeah. for me. Yeah. In other words, uh -huh. you're basically saying when, when you say I want you to record this, um, in other words, they will internally file it under something, whether it's under deeds or mining claims or um, commercial transactions. <clears throat> I mean, the county I'm in here, they've got uh, like 70-some different indexes, different files. Uh, about six or eight of them are on different kinds of liens. But, um, and they will file, that's what they call it, they will file it under a certain index. But when you go down, you simply tell them you want it recorded. And what you're saying in so many words is, I want this placed into the public memory. Oh, so I'm not saying I want this recorded in um, whatever kind of, uh, like, well, if they come back, or... yeah, in other words, you don't volunteer it. You just simply say, I want to record it. And they say, well, we don't have a, a file we can put it in. And you say, no, well, no. Do, you have, do you have a miscellaneous file? Where do you, where do you put your... No. Yeah. All right, then you go to the newspaper and say, where do you record your public notices? Because they record all the public notices with, with the county. Okay, so supposedly the county is going to say, oh, well, this actually belongs in this, under the name of this kind of yeah. file. Yeah, don't try to tell them to do their job. Don't try to tell them how to do their job. Just let them volunteer it. Oh, oh see, that'll make it so much easier. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, you know, if they say, well, we don't know where to put it, you say, well, where do you put your newspaper public notices when they're recorded? Because they are recorded. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and now would recording documents on a UCC uh, three serve the same pro uh, same purpose as recording at our local county recorder's office? Um, you're talking about a different body of law and, and probably a different jurisdiction there. If you're trying to get back under the common law, under the Constitution. Yeah, I like that. Um, you 
want to be very, very careful how you do that if you're going to try and do it through the commercial, through the commerce clause. Through I've, the, I, commerce? I've, the commerce clause in the, United, in the Constitution, it's there. <laughs> Regulate commerce. It's one of the powers of Congress. Oh, so so by going to the UCC, we are uh, getting involved to, in getting involved in political stuff. Is that exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's and, the same. It, it's the same thing that makes the difference between a contract and an agreement. Contract is law. Agreement is equity. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, one more question, and that is, what is the cost of a certified copy of uh, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights? I don't know what it is now. It used to be about twenty-five bucks a pop. Whoa. Okay. Whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, hang on here. <laughs> okay. Call the National Archives and ask them. Who? National Archives? Yeah. Last, last time I tried to check recently, they were offline, so I couldn't find out. Funny how they're so often offline, these different governmental <laughs> websites. Okay, well, yeah. I think that I think that wraps it up for the moment. All righty then. And <laughs> wait a minute, one more thing, when okay. you're also going to need you're also going to need the O's of the people that you're dealing with. What uh, when? Both well, if you ever get in a pissing match with them, you're going to need it. Uh, you have to set the law of the court with the Constitution copies and the Declaration of Independence Bill of Rights, and then you have to get and you have to show that they're bound to uphold and support that um, by their own signature and do away with their so-called immunity. Um, and you're going to need evidence to support that, so you're going to need a copy of their oath that they signed that they had to sign before they entered the office as a condition to exercising the office. That's where they get their authority. It's when they sign that. And uh, and it's also where they shed their immunity. Um, or a very great deal of it. <laughs> anyway. Um, but that's if, I'm, that's if I'm getting entangled in some kind of, you know. Well, remember I told, I told you last week or week before what you're prepared for, I mean prepared for, generally doesn't happen. <laughs> so, well, you want to get prepared for it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll do some thinking about that this week and come up with some more questions about it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think... Uh, oh, I really... What? That, I, I interrupted there. Um, I checked here locally and... Uh, I don't know what the fees are in your county where you are, but here, if I want an oath, it cost me a buck for a copy, and it cost me another buck to get it certified. Oh. So it's two bucks an oath. Well, that's not bad at all. No. Well, mm, let's see. Do I, I might actually have another question. Is that okay with you, Tad? What question yes. is that? It has to do with... <laughs> <laughs> It has to do with DBA. Are uh, you okay, let's let's make this the last one of the call, though. 
Well, then let's wait till next week. I might have this better formed next okay. week. Okay, so we'll, we'll just wait. All right. So be prepared, Monty. Oh my gosh! Right. DBA and remember coming that, at you. Yeah, remember this about the O's. They have to do a new oath each if they get reelected. They have uh-huh. to do a new oath because they're elected for a term. When that term expires, that office is vacant. They have to take the oath again, even if they're reelected. Because they're they're taking the oath for a new term. Okay. All right. All righty. I'll get that. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Monty and Tad. Thank you, Genevieve. Okay. I think that's going to wrap it up for the evening, everybody. Thank you very much. And uh, we will see you next week. And, Monty, thank you, too. You bet. All right. Good night. Night, all. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.